الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين استفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولكن الله حمم عليكم الإيمان وزينه في قلوبكم وكره إليكم الكفر والفسوق والإسيان أولئك هم الراشدون سبحان ربك رب العزة أما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد ومبارك وسلم اللهم صلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد ومبارك وسلم الله سبحانه وتعالى has created the most perfect deen in the deen of Islam. And he sent the most perfect Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as the prophet of Islam. And he sent down the most perfect book in the form of Quran. And he gave us the most perfect place in the form of the Kaaba. And all of that he adorned with the most perfect group of humanity known as the Sahaba Ikram, radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. Every single thing about Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam was chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for him. Makkah Mukarramah is Mustafa. Madina Munawwara is Mustafa. Each and every one of you and me who are in this ummah, we are Mustafa, chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But first and foremost, the sahaba Karam, each and every one was personally selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from all of the arwah and souls of humanity that who would get that sharf, that karam, that honor to be the companion of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describing these sahaba Karam in Quran that they are the masterpieces. You can imagine that Sahabi Karam are the masterpiece student of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So Sayyidina Rasulullah was the teacher and the designer and the muzakki. And the Sahabi Karam were his students, were his design, were his product. If you want to even see the shan and azmat and the wonder of the prophethood of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, all you have to do is even look at even a single one of his Sahabi Karam and you will realize what a perfect and complete prophet and messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam he was. Sahabi Karam were the first students of the Prophet sallallahu They were the original recipients of the Quran al-Kareem. They were the original defenders and keepers and guardians of Iman. They were the original da'is in the after the Prophet sallallahu The original da'is, the original callers to the deen of Islam. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah has a special love for his Sahaba. And he used to call them the same way Allah called him Rasuli, my Rasul. Sayyidina Rasulullah used to call the Sahaba Ashabi, my Ashab. Same nisbah, same love, same ta'luk, same connection. Their honor is based on their connection to the Prophet of Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa subhanahu wa ta'ala for Allah and radiyallahu ta'ala anhu for sahaba ikram. Most special and honored people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about them in Quran, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made iman beloved to them. وَزَيِّنَهُ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made 
iman beautiful to them that Allah Ta'ala adorn their hearts, their spiritual hearts with the beauty of iman. And Allah SWT took out from their heart and made repugnant to their heart Allah SWT made absolutely repugnant in their heart disbelief and fisk and sin and immorality and isyan and sin. So what does it mean? It means that in this ayah Allah SWT is testifying in Qur'an al to the kamal iman of every single sahaba to the kamal wilaya of every single sahaba that mu'min who has love for iman in their heart that mu'min who has the beauty of iman in their heart, that mu'min who has no kufr, no fisk, no isyan in their heart, that is called a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The most perfect set of believers are the sahaba ikram radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. So, Allah ta'ala then said about the ulaikahumul rashidun that these sahaba are the ones who are the rightly guided ones. Different places in Quran Allah ta'ala said, ulaika all of these are ayatic parts of ayatic Quran where Allah subhanahu has attested to the real iman of Sahabaikram. So much more than Allah subhanahu in Surah Baqarah. فَإِنْ آمَنُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا أَمَنْتُمْ بِهِ فَكَدِهْتَدَوْ That if anyone later adopts Iman in the same way and likeness the way the Sahaba Ikram had Iman, then فَكَدِهْتَدَوْ They would truly be one who has followed Hidayah. means Allah SWT has said to you and me in Quran that we must have Iman the same way the Sahaba had Iman, an Iman that is empty of kufr, of fasuk and isyam. That is the level of iman that Allah subhanahu has set a standard for us in Quran. And that's why Allah Ta'ala said about them in Quran, that indeed they are the real believers, the true believers. Now of all of those 120,000 beautiful gems and pearls and diamonds, tonight we are going to talk about the life of one of them, Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. One of the special Sahabakram, one of the more notable, renowned Sahabakram, one of the most beloved Sahaba to Sayyidina Rasulullah In Hadith and in the Sunan of Tirmidhi, Sayyidina Rasulullah said that Innal Jannata, that indeed the Jannah, the paradise, the heaven, is yearning for three people, Aliyun wa Amara wa Salman, that it is learning for Sayyidina Ali Vidilatanu. Yearning for Sayyidina Ammar ibn Yasir and yearning for Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi. Meaning Jannah cannot wait for Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi to come into it. Allah Akbar. Just like Jahannam could not wait for Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl to enter it. Jannah could not wait for such great, great, amazing Sahaba Ikram to enter into it. Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi radiallahu anhu comes from a place known as Faris. As all of you know, Faris is Persia. Now understand that at that time, why this is so relevant to you and me, who are from England or who are from America, that Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi grew up 
in the superpower of his time. They were two superpowers, Rum and Fadis. Rum you can call it Byzantine, or if you want you can call it the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire. And he was born in a family of noble lineage, wealthy lineage. So imagine the elite, born in the elite family of the superpower of that time. And his journey then is especially relevant. That how a person can find the purity and simplicity and sincerity of Iman even from such a place. And makes us think that we are people who have migrated or our fathers or forefathers migrated from the Muslim world and left behind societies which have the purity and simplicity and sincerity of Iman to come to a place. And then sometimes we offer excuses and rationalizations and justifications for us leaving some teaching of Islam or being soft or cutting some corners or compromising on Islam because of the place we are in. And Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi did not do any such cutting corners. He did not do any such compromising. He did not in any way squander any opportunity to come to the Iman in Sayyidina Rasulullah and the Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's a long story that he has narrated in hadith, which I'm going to do that a little bit later. First, I'm going to mention one incident that is what most of us know about Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi and that is in the fifth year of Hijrah, the Yehud of Medina Manawla and the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makarama made a grand strategy and plan that they had failed in Badr, they had failed in Uhud. So they decided to mass the masses of their forces and their armies and to lead that army against the Mu'mineen to march on Medina Manawara and their intention was first and foremost to kill and assassinate Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, and then to wipe Islam off the face of the earth once and for all. Allahu Akbar. This was their intention. And Allah SWT has mentioned this in Surah Al-Ahzab in detail. And He describes them and the scene in such a way that when they came upon you from above and they came upon you from below, means that from above was the Mushrikeen of Makkah and from below, although they proved to be unfaithful, but their plan was initially that the Jews of Medina Manawra, then the eyes grew wild and the hearts reached the throats, meaning the Sahabi Kram of Medina Manawra felt that now we are actually finished. Even though we succeeded in Badr, we succeeded in Uhud, they had Kamal Iman in Allah SWT, Yaqeen in Allah SWT, Tawakkul in Allah SWT, but Allah SWT describes their feeling in Quran Al-Kareem that they felt that they had lost everything. They were in a state of, you can say, crisis. In that state of crisis, what happened? 24,000 fighters from Makkah under the command of this great Kafir Abu Sufyan and Uyena, they came towards Medina Manawra. And this wasn't just the Quraysh, this was many different tribes who were all aligned together. So what does that mean? A multinational coalition force. Yes. That was what came against the Mu'mineen and Muslimin in Medina Manawra. Alright. Now, Sayyidina Rasulullah had very little advance notice of this. And he was counseling, sitting with the Sahaba Ikram, that what could be done. And in that there was Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi who is described in the biographies as being long-legged, being tall and lanky. And he had long hair. Long hair and long-legged. So the long-haired and long-legged Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi he came up with an idea. 
because he looked around Medina Manoa and he saw that in many places there are naturally hills and mountains that can defend us and be a barrier between us and any attacking force. But at the same time, there are certain gaps between those hills and mountains. So as all of you know, he came up with this idea which he had observed in his own native Persia, but which was foreign and unknown to the Arabs, which was to dig a trench. And to dig a very wide and long trench, but there was very little time. So Sayyidina Rasulullah and all able-bodied Sahaba Ikram began digging the trench. And Sayyidina Rasulullah was digging and Sahaba were digging and they were tired and they were hungry but they kept digging, they kept digging, they kept digging. Allah Akbar. Can you imagine Sayyidina Rasulullah doing such hard manual labor with his own hands digging the ground so that deen of Islam could remain on earth. He wasn't worried about his own life so that deen of Islam could remain on earth. So deen of Islam would exist 1400 years from now and still be available to you and me. Sayyidina Rasulullah with his own hands engaged in manual labor for me and you. And we engage our own hands and acts in sin. Can you imagine what we have done in our life with our hands? And what Sayyidina Rasulullah has done in his life with his hands? Just imagine upon the day of judgment, just we have imtahan of our hand. Hmm? What a big difference it is between us and the Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa So, they were digging the trench. And all of you would know, many of you would know, that at one point in the particular area where Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi himself was digging, they reached a big rock, a big boulder, which they couldn't dig. And they're trying to pick it with the pickaxe and break it and they couldn't break it. So then Sayyidina Rasulullah came and Allah Ta'ala put barakah. He said, Bismillah, in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sayyidina Rasulullah took the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then he struck that rock and that rock was shattered into pieces once, twice and thrice. And then the third time he struck that rock, he said loudly, Allahu Akbar, and said that I have seen in front of me Rome being conquered by the Mu'mineen. Means Allah Ta'ala gave him a vision. Now can you imagine right now, these Sahaba Ikram are worried about this imminent army coming right now. And they're worried about one rock in front of them. And Allah Ta'ala shows his kalam and fuzzle and rahmah and says, forget this one rock. Forget this army coming. The superpower of the time, Rome, that is going to be conquered. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Can you imagine then the level of yaqeen that the Sahaba Kram must have felt at that moment? The level of comfort that they would have had at that moment. The level of madad and nus'u, help and aid that Allah Subhanahu would have sent to them at that moment. And then the Biyakrim Sassam also saw the palaces and means the bringing of Islam to Sham and Yemen. So Rum, Sham and Yemen these were three places where Sayyidina Rasulullah saw. Here, so when this happened, after this was all dug up, the enemy army came, and when they came, and they saw the trench, they were stunned, they didn't know, <laughs> they never seen such a thing before. And if they try to go in with their horses, they don't know if they can get out. If they get stuck in there, they're easy target practice for the Sahaba Ikram with their arrows. So they decided to camp there. They didn't know what to do. So they set up camp and they stayed there for one month. And during that one month they must have eaten all the provisions that they brought with them. At the end of one month Allah sent a severe windstorm 
which took away all of their tents and took away much of their remaining provisions and made some of their camels flee. And at that point, Abu Sufyan, he just got sick of it and he made the announcement to retreat and go back. So all of this great defeat, in some sense this was a bloodless victory, but this was the largest army that ever marched against Sahaba. What was that person who enabled the single-handed victory over the largest army ever to march against Islam, that is Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi So the lesson that this gives for us is to use our ilm and our knowledge for deen, to use our expertise for deen. So many of us, we have so many different skills and knowledge and ability and know-how, but how many of us have used that knowledge for the service of deen, for the sake of deen? We have one aspect of our life with our skills, and we have an unskilled approach to our deen. So we must bring all of our knowledge and skills and use that for the sake of deen. When a person does that with ikhlas and sincerity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala makes the deen ghalib in this world. And as long as we continue to have this unskilled approach to our deen, we will not be able to become ghalib in this world. Here, so Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi this is the famous story that you know and now we are going to continue and mention an incident about him which is his own narration now this is a hadith that Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal has narrated in his musnad and the muhaddithin have graded its chain as hasan which means well authenticated sahih means very well authenticated and by the way I should also educate you zaif means weakly authenticated Zayf does not mean inauthentic. That's called Maldu. Zayf means weakly authenticated hadith. Hassan means well authenticated hadith. And Sahih means very well authenticated hadith. So the standard of this hadith is Hassan. An ijma of all muhaddithin is that a Hassan hadith is a source, even a hujja and delil in Islamic law, let alone a source for the biography of a sahaba. And this hadith has also been narrated with another chain, Two different chains in the Musafnaf of Ibn Abi Sheba and one other chain in the Mu'jam al-Kabir of Imam al-Tabarani, Allah But because Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal's work is one of the earliest works in Hadith, the Mu'atta Imam Malik and the Musnad of Ahmad are the two earliest major works in Hadith. So we are going to mention the incident to you from the Hadith narrated in the collection of Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, Allah Ta'ala. So here Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi is sitting with a group of people and he is mentioning uh, to his guests his whole life story. So he says, Kuntu rajalun farsiyan min ahl asbahan. And he says that I was a man from Persia from the place called Isfahan and I was from a neighborhood in that place that was called Jay. Then he says, Wakana abi dihkana qabiyatihi. It means that my father was the leader of that village. You can say my father was the president of that village. وَكُنْتُ أَحَبَّ خَلْقِ اللَّهِ إِلَيْهِ And I was the most beloved of all of Allah's creation to my father. It means I was the pride and joy and love of my father. This is going to be important later. That I was the pride and love and joy of my father. فَلَمْ يَزَلْ بِهِ حُبُّهُ إِيَّا that he did not ever let go of this love for me 
until he dedicated me to this house of fire. Actually, this is called Zoroastrianism. These were people who used to worship fire. So he gave, the father gave his beloved son to the khidma in service of the fire. Then Sayyidina Salman Farsi says, وَجْحَدْتُ فِي الْمَجُوسِيَّةِ حَتَّى كُنْتُ قَتَنَ النَّارِ that I exerted myself extremely and strive, Mujusiya means the religion of Zoroastrianism, until I became, reached the level of, I became the Khadim of the fire. I became the custodian of the fire. It means he must have reached some special rank in that religion. And he became the custodian of the fire, but then he says that what happened one day, is that when I used to go from the estates and lands of my father, back here into this home of fire, one day I passed by a Christian church. And when I passed by the Christian church, I heard them praying. And when I heard them praying, I got interested and I went inside that Christian church. And I saw what they were doing and how they were praying. And it left an impression on me. And so he says that I said to myself then, that this deen is better than our deen. Means that religion of Christianity is better than our religion of Zoroastrianism. So he then started, and so then he said that I did not leave the, that church until sunset, nor did I go to my father's estate, nor did I return to my father until he sent a search party out for me. I remained, I was so impressed by them that I stayed in that church, I stayed with them, the sun set, I still stayed with them, and my father got worried that where is he? My father sent a search party out looking for me and they happened to find me in the church and they took me back to my father. Then he says that while I was in there I asked the Christians about their religion which had impressed me and they said that it originated from Syria, Palestine and from Sham which means includes the area of Palestine which is correct. That is where the religion of Christianity originated. So then when his search party came for him and he goes back home to his father so he tells his father that uh, he tells his father that indeed this deen that I saw is better. They have a religion that is better than ours. And his father got extremely angry with him. And his father locked him up in chains. He put chains and fetters on his ankles and he locked him at home. And in the state of being imprisoned, all Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi could think about was how can I get out? How can I get to this Christianity? Now this story is going to remind you of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam That Sayyidina Ibrahim also goes through a journey that first he looks at the stars and then he thinks that the moon and then the sun, one by one he thinks maybe this is Allah, then no this is Allah, then no this is Allah. So Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi is going the same way. First he thought the fire was God and he was reaching the height of the level of fire worship. Then he's going to come to Christianity and he's going to think this is better. Then he's going to try to reach the heights of Christianity and then eventually he's going to end up, alhamdulillah, on the deen of Islam and he reached the height of the deen of Islam. So he is in this state where his father has kept him in chains. So he manages to send a message to some of the Christians. And he just says that, I sent a message to them. He doesn't share with us how. And this reminds us of Surah Al-Asr, that when a person comes unto deen, وَتَوَاسُوا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسُوا بِالصَّبْرِ that in order to remain steadfast on the truth, you need to mutually encourage and support one another on the truth. 
and when you come on the truth you will face opposition. You need to mutually enjoy it and support one another to be steadfast and persevere in the face of that opposition. So he says, I managed to get some message out to the Christians and inform them of my difficulty. They sent a message back to me that what we will do is we will arrange for some caravan that is going towards Syria that they should take you with them. And then he says, I managed to escape. Allahu Alam. But he says, I managed to escape from, literally, I managed to escape from my chains. And then he joined them in that caravan. And then when he joined that caravan, he was on his way to Syria. When he was in Syria, he reached Syria safely. This is the Hidayah of Allah subhanahu wa Now when he reached Syria, he went to the people of Sham and he asked a very interesting question. He asked them that, I want you to tell me who is A'lam, who is the most learned one of you in Christianity? This was his hikmah. He is Hanif. He knew that if I want to get this deen of Christianity, I have to get it from the people who have ilm, from the ulama. I want to get it from the one who is A'lam. So he was told about the leader of the Syriac church at that time. So he went to him. So he says, and I went to him and I narrated my story to him that I've come from this elite Persian empire and the son of an elite person and I was a fire worshipper and I reached the highest level of fire worship. And then I lived with him and I served him and I prayed and I learned. Four things he mentioned. I lived with him, I served him, I prayed and I learned. What does that mean? Suhba, I lived with him, Suhba. I served khidma, I prayed ibadah and I learned ilm. Means Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi is giving us a formula, is giving us a recipe that if you want to strive and excel in your deen, you need to find an alim of deen, somebody who is alim most knowing about that deen, and you must spend some time in their suhbah, in their company and associate with them. You must do their khidmah, you must be of service to them, you must do ibadah of Allah SWT, you must be a person of worship, and you must get ilm, you must get the knowledge of that deen. But then he writes, uh, well then he says, and the hadith continues, and he says that, but this priest was not faithful, he was not amin, he was not trustworthy. And Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi, and the narrates in the hadith, that he used to see, that he used to collect charity in the name of giving it to the poor, but then he would keep it for himself. Allah Akbar. Now this is two things that are quite amazing over here. Number one thing that strikes us is that this has been going on for a long time. <laughs> Abuse in the name of deen. But the other thing that is amazing that Sayyidina Salman al-Farsir he stayed with him. He stays with him all the way until he dies. And he knows he's not Amin. He knows he's doing Khiyana. But nonetheless he keeps staying in his Suhbah keeps doing his khidmah, keeps doing ibadah of Allah SWT, and keeps learning from him. Ajeeb. Strange. Strange level of ikhlas. So then he dies. When he dies, then the next priest or bishop or whatever it was that is appointed in his place, Sayyidina Samal al-Farsan says about this one, that I've never seen a man more pious than this bishop in that religion. It means a complete change. Right? And he says that he was striving and yearning. Now, how does uh, Sayyidina Samana Farsam describe this person? What does it mean? What is the sifat? What are the attributes of this person who is so pious? Number one, 
He was striving and yearning for the hereafter. Number two, he was devoted to serving people. And number three, he was regular and punctual in worship. This is another teaching of Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi. He's telling us that what are the three master attributes that a person should have. Hmm? They should be striving and yearning for the akhirah. Like Allah Ta'ala says in Quran, مَن يَرْجُ اللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرِ That person who yearns for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, yearns for the last day, means the akhirah. Second, that this person was devoted to serving the people. He was a khadim, khidmat khalq, or khidmat al-deen. He was loving to serve the people. And third, he was regular and punctual in ibadah. That he was regular and punctual in ibadah. So what did he say? He said, I loved him more than I had loved any other person before. Yes, this is also something Sayyidina Salman Farsi had in him. Loving someone for the sake of their deen. Loving someone for the sake of Allah SWT. He says, I loved him more than I had ever loved any person before. This is called love for the salihin. Now, when this person was about to pass away, so Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi continues and says that when death was approaching him, I asked him that to whom do you recommend me? Where should I go? Where should I go next because you're about to pass away? So he said that, O oh, young man, I do not know anyone who is on the path that I am on and anyone who leads the kind of life that I live except a certain person in Mosul which is back in Iraq. What does that mean? So that means that by the admission of this very person, that Christianity was coming to an end. He's saying that there's no person in all of Sham, in all of Syria, Palestine, Jordan area, where you can get this ni'mah. You're going to have to go and migrate yet to another place altogether. And obviously because the time of Sayyidina Rasulullah is coming was soon, you're talking about the age of the fading of real Christianity. This is, we're talking, 15, 1600 years ago. So then, then Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi says that, okay, that when he died, I went to that person in Mosul. Another thing we learn from this is that Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi is saying that you always need suhbah. He found one person and he says that that person was wonderful. He could have been done. He said, okay, he dies and I will live my own life. He says, no. That this person will die, but I need to still be in the guidance of someone. I cannot trust myself. I cannot rely on myself. I cannot be self-reliant, self-dependent. I must find yet another person. So then he migrated all the way to Mosul. And then he told that person his story. And then Sayyidina Salman Farsana says that I stayed with him as long as Allah subhanahu wished me to stay with him. And then when he was about to die, I asked him the same question. That now where should I go? Again, Salman al-Farsan is not content. Now he has met, stayed with two pious people. And he has served them and learned from them and worshipped Allah subhanahu ta'ala in that whatever way that he was being taught. But he's still not content. And again, this person says that there's no person anywhere in this whole area. Again, it's a proof. The fading of Christianity means he got the last, last, last wali of Christianity. That's who he met. The last wali of Sham in that religion. Then he met the last wali in Muslim of that religion. Then where does he go? So he directs him to a person in Nasibin. So then, so the Muslim says that when he died, then I went over there. So that is now the third pious person. Third pious person. 
So, so I went over there and I told him my story. And again, I stayed with him as long as Allah SWT wished. And then when he was about to die, I asked him, now where should I go? And then again this person said that there's no one in this area. If you want to go somewhere, you will have to go all the way to Byzantine. The Byzantine Empire. So Sinasman goes over there. And he says, I went to Byzantine and I stayed with that person. And I lived with that person until death approached him. Then he asked him again, that, where should I go? Now this final person in Byzantine, these four oliya of Christianity, last maybe oliya in each area of Christianity, this fourth and final one tells him that, oh my son, now there is no place you can go. There is no one who is on this path anymore that I can tell you to go to them. But I can give you another glad tiding that now you have reached and you are living in the age in which the last and final prophet and messenger is going to come. So what does it mean? It's the end of the awliya of Christianity. There is no single one left. But the good news is that the age of the last and final Nabi Sayyidina Rasulullah And he told him his sign that there will appear a prophet who will come in the Millat Ibrahim, in the Hanif tradition of Sayyidina Ibrahim And he is going to make a hijrah and move from his original place and migrate to a place of palm trees. And if you can be sincere to him, then do so. Then that person mentioned that he will have signs that will be manifested. One sign is that he does not accept charity. Second sign is that he does accept gifts. And third sign is that between his shoulders you will find the khatam, the seal of Nabuwa. And then the last thing he said is that when you see him, you will know him. Allahu Akbar. Subhanallah. When you see him, you will know him. That itself is a fourth sign. Although normally people don't list that as a sign. But my reading of that, that itself is a sign. When you see him, you will know him. And then saying that, that last wali of Christianity passed away. Allahu Akbar. So Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi was given a destination. That he has to go to this Arabian prince of Hijaz. So then same way he traveled before, he tries to find a caravan. So sure enough, at some point, some caravan was going that way. And he asked him and said, we're going to Hijaz. So he said, okay, here are my cattle and sheep. He was a shepherd. He had some cattle and sheep that he used to graze and live off of them. He said, I can give you all my cattle and sheep and you accept that for me as payment to take me along with you in your caravan to Hijaz. So they agreed. They took him. And this shows the sacrifice of Sayyidina Salman al-Farsal. Now he realized that I've been going from wali to wali to wali and now I'm going to be going to the last Nabi. That is my final destination. I will have no need of dunya anymore. I don't need these cattle and sheep anymore. I can give it all away. I just need to reach there. Look at this Kamal Yakin and Tawakkal. He knows that all I have to do is just reach that place where this last Nabi is going to come and then everything else will take care of itself. Allahu Akbar. So they make that deal. But it turns out as many places in the world you have sinister people. So the people in that caravan were actually treachery. And they took him to a place called Wadi al and they enslaved him and then they sold him to a Jew. And I'm not saying every Jew is like this. But what does it mean they sold him to a Jew? Just like today, you know where they're stolen goods. You know that a car is stolen at the black market and you're not going to buy it 
if you're pious because you don't want to buy something that's stolen. There's no way that Jew could have ever thought that Salman al-Farsi anhu, with his nobility, his pedigree, his taqwa, his iman, which must have been apparent on him, has been born into slavery. He must have been able to tell that this is somebody who's been kidnapped into slavery. But nonetheless, he bought him anyway. Yes? Nonetheless, he bought him anyway. Now, strange thing, which I've never been able to understand, right? That Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi gets, lets himself get sold into the custodian custody of this Jew. Now, me and you would think, why don't you escape? You could run away. You managed to get out of the iron chains that your father put you in. What could this Jew be? How could be imprisoning you? Surely there must have been some escape, some chance, but no. He says, I stayed as the slave of this Jew until another Jew from the Bani Kureza, which was a tribe of Jews in Medina Manawara, came to him one day and bought me from him. And then I stayed with him and then he brought me to Medina Manawara. And when I came to Medina Manawara, then gradually while I was there, I realized that this is that land, this is that land of date palms that, oh, that last wali of Christianity in Byzantine had told me about. So he realizes that I'm in the right place. So he's happy being a slave. No problem. <laughs> I've reached the destination. I remain as a slave. No attempt to run away. One thing is a person is genuinely a slave, but a free person who has been enslaved, they should run away, right? They should break away. Now, remember what I'm about to say because it's going to be even more shocking later on. So, then, this is before Nabi Yikram has made hijrah, right? So he realizes that this is the place, but there's no news anywhere of any prophet or anything. So he keeps waiting because that was another sign that was told that he's going to migrate from some other place to this place. So he says that one day I was working in the orchards of my master as a slave and I was on the top picking the dates of the date palm tree and my master was sitting on, you know, on the ground with someone who had come to visit him and they started talking to one another. And the person who had come, had come from Cuba and was saying to his master that I have just come from Cuba and the people of Cuba are saying some man has arrived to them who says he's the last and final prophet and messenger. Salman Farsi said, I was up there on the date palm tree. I almost fell down when I heard this. So he says, I quickly scrambled down and I asked him, that, what, what is it that you're, he addressed that person from Cuba? What are you saying? What news? So the master looked at him and gave him a slap. He says, my master looked at me and gave me a slap because it must be out of order to come down and talk to the master's guests. So he says, my master gave me a slap and said to me, what's the matter with you? What's your interest in this? Get back to your work. So I obediently returned to work. This is what he says. Allah Akbar. Look at the level of hukuk al-ibad. I obediently returned to work. But at night I gathered my belongings and I went out to the encampment of the Sahaba and Sayyidina Rasulullah at Kuba. And I saw that he was sitting with some of his companions. So I offered him some food. And what does he say? Now, the other sign, remember when you see him, you will know him. This must take place. This must have taken place instantly. So question arises that why did Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi then go through these tests that he's about to do? My understanding of this is that because he had spent his sohbah with four true awliya of Christianity, he knew they were true. And he knew what they were saying must necessarily be true. And up till now, two or three of the things have been proven to be true. The area of the date palm trees, 
the migrating to Makkah Mukarramah. And when he saw the person, he must have, when you see him, you will know him, that must have also happened. But he must be thinking that my teacher gave me a list of things. So I must follow the instructions of my teacher. If he has told me to check these three other things, I will do that. Even though my own feeling is he would already know that Sayyidina Rasulullah is true. So then what did he do? Number one was the issue of charity. So he goes up to the Prophet and he says that you are a stranger traveling in this town. So I have some food that I was thinking of giving in charity. So lo, I give it to you. So Sayyidina Rasulullah took it and he told the Sahaba Ikram that you eat from it. But Salman al-Farsan saw that Sayyidina Rasulullah himself, he did not partake of it one morsel. But he took it and gave it to his companions. So, and he said to his companions, eat in the name of Allah. And this was something that must have impacted Sayyidina Rasulullah So then he went back to his master so he wouldn't be noticed. Means he's able to escape. He's able to leave. But then he goes back. He goes back, next day he works, the next night again he goes. And then he goes to the Prophet and then he takes some food again and says to him that I can see that you did not eat from the charity. So today I have brought just a gift and I would like to gift it to you. So Sayyidina Rasulullah takes that food, put it down, gathered the Sahaba, said eat in the name of Allah. And then the Prophet also started eating. So Sayyidina Rasulullah said, oh this other sign has been fulfilled, right? This other second sign is fulfilled that he eats from the gifts that people give them. Uh, eats from the gifts that people give him. So then again he returned back to his master. Goes back to being a slave. And then he says, I stayed away for a while. And then I went back to the Prophet And I saw that the Prophet was surrounded by his companions. And they had recently returned from a janazah. I was not able to figure out whose janazah it was. But it must have been some Sahaba who had become Shaheed. And Sayyidina and Sahaba Kram have come back from that. And he had two garments. One was a shawl that was wrapped around his shoulder. And one was a wrap that he had wrapped around his waist and legs. So Sayyidina Salman Farsi saw this as an opportunity. So he says that I greeted him, I said salam, and I tried to look at the upper part of his upper back. And Sayyidina Rasulullah knew what I was looking for. So he removed the garment and showed me his more of Nabuwa. Allah Akbar, because Sayyidina Rasul must have been inspired and revealed by Allah Ta'ala that who is this? So, Sayyidina Saman Farsana said that I saw that, right, uh, and I realized that that was the sign. And now all of the signs that that Christian wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had mentioned to him, all of that had been achieved. So he says that now he is overwhelmed by emotion. He says, I stumbled and staggered towards him and I kissed and I embraced the Prophet ﷺ and then he accepted and he took iman. Then, amazing. At this point you would think now he wouldn't go back. After accepting Iman, he goes back to his master. I've never till this day been able to understand this. He goes back to his master. And he remains the slave of his master through the battle of Badr, through the battle of Uhud. He's not a slave. He's been falsely enslaved. Now he has Iman. Every one of you, I'm sure, also thinks that he should just run away. He should join the Prophet He's clearly able to go and join. Why in the world is he going back? It doesn't make sense. 
Allah Akbar. Some strange thing here. Maybe it's a kukulibad. Maybe he doesn't want to be a stain on the Prophet Maybe he doesn't want any Jew master to say that my slave has run away and broken away from me to join the Prophet Allah But he goes back and continues living the life of a slave for years. And then he keeps meeting the Prophet secretly. He cannot fight in Badr because he's busy being a slave. He cannot fight at all. Now for that you and me would say, how could he not do that? He has to go for jihad kisabilillah. He should leave the master and go to Badr. He didn't. He didn't. Ajeeb. Hmm? So, he continues being the slave of his master. Finally then, Sayyidina Rasulullah told him that you should make a deal with your master and this was something that you can buy your freedom from your master. So a price was set and Sayyidina Salman al-Farsam was able to earn something and some sahaba Ikram also donated for this cause and together then they were finally able to earn his freedom and after that then the very first ghazwa, the very first junk, uh, the very first battle that he was able to join was this battle of uh, the trench. Allah Akbar. Strange life. Hmm? Strange life. Then when Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi he joined uh, the Prophet ﷺ and Sahabi Kram on the trench and he lived a life after the Prophet ﷺ. So the next thing now we want to tell you about Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi's life after the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Because many very interesting things happen after Sayyidina Rasulullah passes away. Why am I saying after? Because in that lifetime, because there's very little detail mentioned about this, so one can just assume he must have just been spending all of his time with the Prophet making up for lost time, all the time that he was spending with his master. After the Prophet passes away, as all of you know, Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq ta'ala anhu becomes Amir al-Mu'maneen Khalifatul Rasul. Alright. Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal Rimullah Ta'ala has another collection of hadith called Kitab al-Zuhud. I need to explain this to you a little bit. What is happening here? This is the time of Tabai Tabin. This is a time when the Salihin of Tabai Tabin are seeing that in the Ummah, already in the Ummah people are becoming materialistic. People are being corrupted by the wealth and riches that have entered into the Ummah due to the vast conquest of land in the Islamic Empire. So what did Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal Rimulatala do? And Imam Abdullah bin Mubarak Rimulatala do? And Ibn Abi Sheba do? They started gathering particular hadith. And those were hadith about you should not love the world. You should not be of the world. You should love Allah SWT. You should live simply in this world. And they compiled all of these type of hadith together and they titled that compilation Kitab Zuhud. The book of Zuhud. What does Zuhud mean? Zuhud means how to live in the world without loving the world. How to live in the world without loving the world. So in Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal Rimulatala's Kitab Zuhud, he quotes an incident where Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes to Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu when he is Khalifa and Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala and asks him for some nasiha, for counsel, for advice. 
and Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq gives him some advice and counsel on Nasiha. And that type of advice, Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal Namtale feels that that was an advice of Zuhud. So what do we learn from this narration? That Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi after being the student of Sayyidina Rasulullah next he became the student in Zuhud of Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and this was the way the teachings of Tazkiyah proceeded in the early generations. That a person would learn Zuhud from someone. Learn Tazkiyah from someone. Learn how to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from someone. And we've already seen this was the way of Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi. One teacher after another, after another, after another. So this is going to continue up to Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq. But then it stops after that. That also I will show you. This is now his last teacher. Last teacher of Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi is Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq with Allah ta'ala anhu. So Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi went to him. Imam Ahmad writes, mentioned this in his Kitab al-Zuhud and Ibn Ishad has mentioned this in his Tabqad. So he asked Sayyidina Abu Bakr, give me some advice. Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq said that fear Allah, O Salman. You should know that there will be many conquests in this Ummah. Your share from those conquests should only be that food which you need for your stomach and that clothing which you need to cover yourself. Means don't take any other wealth and riches from any of the wealth that enters into the Islamic empire. Just the food you need to fill your stomach and just the clothing you need to cover yourself. Then second thing Sayyidina Bakr Siddiq said that you should also know that whoever performs his five salah is in the protection of Allah Ta'ala in the morning and in the evening. Second Nasiha. Third, that you should never kill anyone who is in the protection of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala because then you will be breaching the trust of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala and then Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala will throw you Salman into Jahannam. Allah Akbar Allah Akbar Look at the Nasiha. That Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq is giving to Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi radiallahu ta'ala So the first teaching was that is why Imam Ahmad put it in his Kitab al-Zuhud. That don't partake of this world any more than what you need. Don't have extraneous superfluous wealth in this world. Second teaching was the importance of salah and ibadah. Now this also tells you Obviously, all of us would know that Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, Sayyidina Salman, Farsi, were always praying Salah. There's no question of them ever missing Salah. But nonetheless, they kept counseling and advising one another about the ahmiyyah, about the importance of Salah. That's because they knew the haqiqat of Salah. They knew the reality of Salah. They knew the masterful reality of Salah. And they would keep enjoining one another even after the life of the Prophet Wasallam. So these were the parting words that Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq when he spoke to Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi after Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq when he passes away then Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi migrates away. Migrates away no longer does he have any teacher but as you're going to see he becomes the teacher of many of the Tabin. Becomes a great teacher of many of the Tabin, many of the early Tabin. Next is Sayyidina Salman Farsi and Sayyidina Umar Radiallahu So this riwayah is to show the friendly nature. This has been narrated by Imam Hakim and his Mustadrak. And this is a hadith. And there are many incidents and the way you will join in these incidents 
is that all of these incidents happen. I'll just explain it to you first. So what happened once is that Sayyidina Salman of Farsina was sitting with Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sayyidina Rasulullah tossed him a cushion, a pillow and told Sayyidina Salman that when a Muslim goes to visit his fellow Muslim and then the host tosses him a cushion to lean on or to recline on as a gesture of hospitality then Allah Ta'ala forgives the sin of the host. And Sayyidina Rasulullah actually did this to Salman of Farsi. Tossed him a cushion. Now that's the original incident and that has been narrated in hadith transmitted by Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi. What happened one day when Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi went to visit Sayyidina Umar, so Sayyidina Umar tossed him a cushion. <laughs> because remembering that day, right? And this is what the Sahaba would do when they met one another. They would remember some incident in time from when Sayyidina Rasulullah was alive. They would remind themselves of some event that happened in front of the two of them. So Sayyidina Umar, he tossed a cushion to Salman and he repeated the whole thing again. And then it happens once that Sayyidina Umar visits Sayyidina Salman and again Sayyidina Salman tossed the cushion to Sayyidina Umar and repeated the whole incident again. So on the surface it looks like three contradictory narrations but actually when we understand the love Sahaba Ikram had for each other and for Sayyidina Rasul, we understand actually this is what's going on. This is their pleasant nature of exchange with one another. But from this rivaya we can see that Sayyidina Salman does not view Sayyidina Umar as his teacher. Now he's being as a colleague with Sayyidina Umar Teacher, last teacher was Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq So this was the incident of Sayyidina Salman Farsi and Sayyidina Umar Then in many narrations of mostly by Abu Naim and his Hilya but also by Haythami and Tabarani in their works, Majmah Zawaid and the Mu'jum of Tabarani, some incidents of the Zuhud of Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi Sayyidina Atiyah ibn Amr says that once he was with Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi and the host was trying to force him to eat more and more. So Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi said that this is enough for me. This is enough for me because I've heard Sayyidina Rasulullah say that those who were the most full in this world will be the most hungry in the Akhirah. Yan. So this is also a hadith of the Prophet narrated by Sayyidina and there are only few. Some muhaddithin have mentioned only seven hadith narrated by Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi very muhtat or very um, cautious in narrating hadith. But this is one hadith that he narrates that the Prophet said that those who are most full in this world shall be the most hungry in the Akhirah. And then he addressed himself and said, Oh Salman, this world is just a prison for the believer and is a jannah for the kafir. So he was trying not to eat more and more and more. This is called zuhud. This is an aspect of his zuhud. When he migrated out of Medina Menorah, then he became a governor. He was appointed at some time in the time of Sayyidina Uthman al-Ghani as the governor of a place called Madain. And this is eventually going to be the place where he passes away. And he passes away in the Khilafat of Sayyidina Uthman anhu. When he was appointed as the governor, he received 5,000 dirhams as an allowance. 5,000 dirhams. And there were about 20-30,000 Muslims under his, uh, 30,000 Muslims under his dominion. He spent his entire 5,000 dirhams on others. And he used to weave baskets and sell the baskets that he weaved with his own hand. And that money he would use for himself. And if there was any left from that money, he would give that away also. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Can you imagine any governor like that in the world today? 
who gives away his entire salary and who wants to work with his own hands. This is also a lesson for those of us who are on deen. That if Allah Ta'ala has blessed us with the skill and ability that we can earn our own living by our own hands, it is better that we do that. It is better that we do that. If Allah Ta'ala has given us such an ability to do so. Then, when he was governor, Sayyidina Amash has narrated that Sayyidina Huzayfar once went to Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi in Madayan and saw that you just sit in the open air underneath the sun and you're dealing with people like that. So let me build a room for you. So Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi first said no. And Sayyidina Huzayfar, he knew his temperament. So he said, Oh Salman, I will build a room for you such that when you stand up, your head touches the ceiling and if you lie down, your foot will touch the wall. Meaning the most minimum room. And Salman said, okay, you can build a room like that for me. This was the governor's mansion. Hmm? How tall was it, the ceiling, that he can just touch his head? How wide was it that if he was to lay down, his feet would be touching the wall? Allah Akbar Kabeerah. This is the Zuhud of Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi anhu. This is the teachings of Zuhud. And you know, the grandson of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu. Qasim bin Muhammad bin Abi Bakr who was one of the Fuqahai Saba of Medina Manawra. When he was a young boy, he used to go to Sayyidina Salman and learn these teachings of Zuhud that Sayyidina Salman had learnt from his grandfather and Sayyidina Salman had learnt from Sayyidina Rasulullah Many, many stories of Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi Some of message of the humility. When Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi has reached the stage of his life, now people used to go meet him. So Sayyidina Salamarunda says that one of my cousins, whose name was Kodama, he came to me with the request that I want to go meet Salman Farsi. So we left and we journeyed to Madain and we saw him in command of an army of 20,000 men. Then when we reached him individually, he was sitting and he was weaving the baskets out of palm leaves. And we greeted him. And I said to him that, Ya Abba Abdullah, Abdullah, this was the Kunya, this was his name, Abu Abdullah, right? That this is my cousin who wanted to travel to meet you, he wishes to greet you. So the cousin said, As-salamu alaykum. Sayyidina Salman responded, Wa alayhi salam wa rahmatullah. And then he said that he loves you. And Sayyidina Salman said, Ahabbahullah. May Allah ta'ala love him. Made dua for him. One thing. He said that, Oh my cousin is journey because he loved you. And Sayyidina Salman said, Ahabbahullah. May Allah ta'ala love him. Allah Akbar. Look at this Makam that people come to visit him. He doesn't want anything from them in this world. He's not interested in their praise and their fan. He just wants that Allah sponsor should love them. This is the way of the people of Zuhud. That anybody who comes to them, what do they want? They want that that person should come, even if they come as their lover, they want that person to become the beloved of Allah. This is the feature of the teaching of Zuhud. So, Sayyidina, Salman al-Farsi having people coming to meet him, coming to visit him. Now the story of his marriage. So there was a person, uh, Abu Qulna Kindi, and he offered his daughter to Sayyidina Salman Rudanu. But Sayyidina Salman thought that he has a daughter, but he also has a slave, former slave that he had freed called Buqayra. So he thought to himself, instead of marrying this man's daughter, I will marry the slave that he freed. So outwardly this would appear to be an insult. That this was Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi's zuhud. That he wanted to marry the humbler one. So he married Buqayra, a freed slave woman. Like he himself in some sense was a freed slave man. 
Then one day Abu Qurra, it's a bit of a long story, but Abu Qurra, he came to meet Sayyidina Salman Farsi And Sayyidina Salman Farsi had told him that, okay, you can come and sit down on the bed that your former slave has lies in. Allah Akbar. You can sit down on the bed that your former slave now she lies in. means this notion of equality, this notion of egalitarianism, this notion of leveling these social and class boundaries, Sayyidina Salman al-Farsan, also an aspect of Zod. So when you come to the gatherings of the people of Zod, you will find every person from every class over there. Everyone is equally welcome over there. This was the legacy of Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Here are his advices. Some of the advices that have been recorded in the books of Sayyidina Salman Farsi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He said that three persons make me laugh and three things make me cry. I laugh at the person who entertains lengthy hopes. This is called Tule Amal in Arabic. They have long plans and lengthy hopes of what they're going to do for the rest of their life in this world. Yet death is constantly searching for him. Then he said that the other person that I laugh is that person who is negligent of death. Yet death is never negligent of him. And the third one that I laugh is that person who laughs all the time and he doesn't even know whether his rub is angry or pleased with him. Allah He said, how could we laugh if we didn't know for sure that Allah Ta'ala was not angry with us? And if we don't know for sure that Allah Ta'ala is not angry with us and has forgiven us, what could there be in this world to laugh about? Zuhud. This is the teaching of Zuhud. This is Sayyidina Samana Farsana's real teachings. Then where were the three things that made me cry? Allah Akbar. The first was my separation from Sayyidina Rasulullah The passing away of Sayyidina Rasulullah and my separation from his party, his sahaba, meaning my departure from Medina Manawra. Allah Akbar. This is perhaps the greatest sorrow that ever existed in the history of humanity. The sorrow in the hearts of the Sahaba when their beloved Sayyidina Rasulullah passed away from this world. This is something we cannot even begin to fathom. Something we cannot even begin to imagine. First thing Sayyidina Salman al-Farsana said, that this is my first thing that makes me cry. Second thing that makes me cry is the anticipation of Sakratul Maut, when the pangs of death will overtake me. It makes me cry when I think when I will be in the death throes, when the pangs of death will overcome and overtake me. And third thing is standing before Allah SWT. Man khafa maqama rabbihi. That standing in front of Allah SWT, that is the third thing that scares me, because I don't know whether I'm going to go to Jahannam or Jannah. Allah Ajib. This is something you see in these great people. Right all the way to the end, they had fear of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. They had fear that what if I'm not accepted by Allah subhanahu ta'ala? What if I'm not pleasing to Allah subhanahu ta'ala? What if I'm not desired by Allah subhanahu ta'ala? Then Sayyidina Salman al-Farsan, another thing he said, said that when Allah ta'ala intends to destroy a person, Allah ta'ala will take away his haya. When Allah ta'ala intends to destroy a person, Allah Ta'ala will take away that person's haya. When Allah Ta'ala takes away his haya, then you will find that he becomes a person who hates other people and other people will hate him. Allah Akbar Kabeena. He will become a person 
who hates other people and other people who hate him. Then he continued, and when this occurs, then Allah Ta'ala will take and lift up all of his rahmah, his mercy from him, such that now this person's heart will become hardened, and he will lose his trustworthiness. Then he will be treacherous to others, and others will be treacherous to him. Ultimately then he will lose the deen of Islam, and he will be cursed by Allah Ta'ala and all of creation. How did all of this begin? By losing the hayal. The destruction of insan and mu'min is when they lose that hayal that is their very iman. Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Al-hayau iman. Another hadith, Al-hayau shu'batun min al-iman. That hayal itself is iman and iman itself is hayal means if we lose our hayal, we are in danger of losing our iman. So these were some of the sayings of Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi Then now we come, because time is running short, so now we have to move to the end, end of the life of Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi And different ulama have differed about his age. Some have even gone so far as to say that he lived to be 250 years old. Allahu Alam, right? But he is known that in any way that he lived a very long age in his life. It means that he had been alive for a long time before he met Sayyidina Rasulullah He passes away in either uh, anywhere between 32 to 35 Hijri, which is in the period of the Khilafah of Sayyidina Usman. So Sayyidina Amr bin Abdullah narrates that when Sayyidina Salman al-Farsin was on his deathbed, that people noticed he was uneasy. So they went to him and said, Oh Abu Abdullah, what makes you so restless and uneasy when you were amongst the earliest believers and you were the companion of the Prophet So Sayyidina Salman Farsi said that what makes me uneasy and what has caused me concern is that when Sayyidina Salman was parting from us, my beloved friend Salman explicitly instructed me that the mere provisions of a traveler should suffice for us. Kun fi dunya ka anna ka Sayyidina Salman, he took this to heart. He took the words from the heart of the Prophet into his heart. This is the teaching of Zuhr. He said that I was supposed to live just like a traveler. Only have the possessions that a traveler has. And so Sayyidina Amr says that I looked around his room and I saw that he had hardly a possession there. Hardly a possession there. So he says, how is this person being so worried that he has more than the provisions and possessions of the traveler? And then different ulama, Ibn Hibban, Ibn Ishaqr, different ulama narrated how much he left behind. Some say that he left behind only 20 dirhams back. Only 20 dirhams. Others said that what he left behind was only 14 dirhams. Dirham is less than a dinar. He left behind only 14 dirhams. And finally, then... And another narration that mentions the coming of his end of his time on this earth. And the illness increased on Sayyidina Salman al farsi to day by day. That in his ashab means that he had companions. We learn from this rivayah. 
He himself was the student and companion of Sina Abu Bakr Siddiq and now towards the end of his life his ashab, his companions were visiting him morning and evening. فَقَدْ كَانُوا يُحِبُّونَهُ غَايَةَ الْحُبُ And his companions loved him to the end of love, to the limit of love. Allah Akbar. This is how he left this world, the beloved of the Tabeen, the Shaykh of the Tabeen. He had Sahaba, Ashab, companions from the Tabeen. وَيَسْأَلُونَ اللَّهَ لَهُ الشِّفَاءَ And they used to beg Allah Ta'ala to grant him shifa. وَلَكِنْ Salman. However, Salman anhu. He realized that just it is a matter of time, the dawn of the morning could happen, and I'm very close to the eternal abode. So then what happened? He called his wife, and he told his wife that there is one thing I've entrusted you with. I want you to bring that to me. What was that? That was some special itr he had gotten from a particular place. He said to her, mix it with water. She mixed it with water. He said, sprinkle it on me. She sprinkled it on him. And then he told her that soon some creation is about to come. That is neither from insan nor jinn. So not, they cannot eat. So I cannot host them in that way. But they like fragrant smell. So I want you to make me fragrant so that when they come, I have done my duty of hosting them. Ya Allah. <laughs> Who thinks like that when they passed away? That they are going to be the host of Malak al they have to do the mehman nawazi of Malak Allah Akbar Kameena. Subhanallah. What a person. What a person. So then, his wife did all of that. And, she, and all of that happened. And then what happened? Then he said that Salman, he felt, Ahasa Salmanu bil malaikatu That he felt that the angels had now come around him. And he felt that now he's not going to live but for a few more moments. So he started making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That he started doing dhikr of his Rabb wa yunajihi and making munajat and supplicating his Rabb wa yatadhalla ilayh and submitting himself in humility to his Rabb and yarza anhu so that his Rabb could become pleased with him and that his Rabb could raise him this was the dua he made. That Allah raised me amongst the Siddiqeen and Shuhada and Salihin. These are words from Quran. And wonderful and such noble and beautiful are such companions and friends to have. And while he was saying this statement, he passed away. This person who was from Persia, who was from the elites, who had everything in the world, he left everything to search for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the second he found out about Sayyidina Rasulullah he left everything to search for Sayyidina Rasulullah And then when he found Sayyidina Rasulullah he spent his life serving Sayyidina Rasulullah Then when his Prophet passed away, he spent his time in khidmah and learning from Siddiq Then when Siddiq passed away, then he spent his life in serving and teaching doing khidmah of Tabeen. And all of the wealth that came his way, he donated all of that for charity. And he lived this simple, humble life 
all the way to the end. Now you tell me that if we are living in these countries in the West, can we not also make a journey within here, but a journey of the heart to be more simple, a journey of the heart to follow Zuhud, a journey of the heart to take out the hubb dunya the love of the dunya that is ra'su kulli khati'ah, that is the source of all of the error and sin that we make, can we not follow the journey or pattern our life after the life journey of Sayyidina Sulaiman al-Farsi These are the Sahaba Ikram. These are the models of humanity. These are the medals of humanity. These are the wonders of humanity. The greatest creation after the Anbiya is the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. So it is our hope and our dua that may Allah subhanahu ta'ala enable each and every one of us to follow this path of zuhud and this teaching of zuhud and to be like Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi radiallahu was and to be like all of the Sahaba ikram were and to be like our Sayyidina Rasulullah was and to be the way Allah subhanahu ta'ala wants us to be. أن الحمد لله رب العالمين سبحان ربنا الرحمن اللهم صل ميك دعاء سبحان ربنا الرحمن اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد ومبارك وسلم ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تفلنا وتنحمنا لنكوننا من الخاسرين رب اغفر وارحم وأنت خير الراحمين يا الله يا رب كريم you are most kind and generous رب يلا we ask that you send your hidayah on our heart send your rahmah on our heart send your fuzzle and karam on our heart يلا take out all the unlawful love for this world from our heart take out all the unlawful lust from our heart يا الله رب كريم make us people of zuhud make us people of qina'a يا الله people make us make us people of istigna يا الله fill our heart with a love for you a love for Quran, a love for Deen of Islam, a love for Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, a love for his Sunnah, a love for his Sahaba, a love for Salman al-Farsi radiallahu ta'ala an, a love for Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala an, Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, just like you guided Sayyidina Salman each and every step of the way, Ya Allah, we ask that you guide us in the same manner. Step by step, guide us to those awliya. Step by step, guide us to those people, the Siddiqeen and Salihin who will take out the love of the dunya from our heart and fill our heart with love for you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us amongst your muhibbeen, make us amongst your mahbubeen, make us amongst your muqbudeen, make us amongst your muqarrabeen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have become so distant from you, so lazy in our deen, so negligent of you, so disobedient to you. Ya Allah, we turn to you in Tawbah on this night. Ya Allah, we ask that you forgive us for all of our sins. Ya Allah, we have remembered your beloved on this night. Yalla, surely indeed He is beloved to you. Yalla, we ask that you accept our love for Him and make that a means of our love for you. We accept ask that you accept our love for Him and make it a means of your love for us. Ya Allah Rabbi Kareem, make us love each and every one of Sahaba. Make us patterned after each and every one of the Sahaba. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, grant us yakin, grant us tawakkul, grant us taqwa, grant us taqwa, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we have just passed this month of Ramadan 
Allah la allakum tattakun but Yala we have lost the taqwa already Yala we ask that you restore the nur of Ramadan to our heart restore the nur of taqwa to our heart make us steadfast make us firm make us amongst the sabirin Ya Allah Ya Alhamdulillah Rahimeen Yala we make door for the ummah the muslima Yala shower you khususi rahmat and fuzzle upon them especially the mazlumin of this ummah the mudathirin of this ummah Yala send them a ray of hope where they see none send them your help and aid where they see none Ya Rabbi Kareem protect the izzat of the muslimat protect the izzat of the mu'minat Ya Rabbi Kareem protect our atfal and children Ya Allah Ya Rabbi Kareem Ya send your special sharf and karam upon us and protect each and every one of our iman and the iman of all of our descendants until yawm al-deen Rabbana takabal minna innaka anta samiyul alim wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawabul rahim wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin